the homoerotic subtext of Frog and Toad was very important. Um, are you currently recording? Because I'm currently recording. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm recording. I just, okay. This is a fun conversation. <laughs> this is an excellent conversation. Um, welcome to On Your Left Podcast, where we talk about gay frogs. <laughs> okay, let's... Let's start the podcast for real now. <laughs> Although I'm not probably going to leave that last bit in, because that's good. <laughs> we just had, like, a 15-minute conversation about TikTok and gay frogs. Friends. That's great. That's it's... great. But, uh, yeah. Welcome to the On Your Left podcast, the politics podcast that's probably to your left. I'm one of your hosts, Katrina Ames, and I use she-them pronouns. And I am the gay frog named Nurali Sheth, and I also use she-her pronouns. <laughs> am I the toad? You know, I like be- I'm okay with being the toad. Both frog okay. and toad are equally good. They are both they excellent. Just, Although, I think- They have their sweaters, and they're comfy. I think, fr- I think toad is a little more curmudgeonly, and I, I actually relate to toad a little more. From what I remember of reading these books when I was a child. <laughs> I don't... I just remember the pictures, not so much the words. Yeah. The pictures were great. It has... It's been 20 years. What can I say? I want to send you a copy of Frog and Toad right now. If you send it, I will, I will read it. Okay. And it'll be fun. <laughs> I'm gonna do that, if I remember. Today starts part two of our LGBTQ history uh, general overview. This is going to be sad for a while, but it gets really great towards the end. I promise. It's gonna be awesome, guys. It's it's a roller coaster that only goes up. It's great, or only goes down because that's the fun part. There are some highs and some lows. There. Are there are some problems, but overall, things get better. True of history and of growing up queer, so that's nice. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, uh, if you tune into part one, we uh, get into the early 1900s mainly and talk about the history of queerness um, in America. Uh, and yeah, now we are at the 1980s. We are going to be going from the 1980s to now, which is when a lot of recent uh, LGBT history in America really took place because this was the time when we openly acknowledge that LGBT people exist and started to acknowledge that we are deserving of rights. Eventually, we'll both be born, so that's cool. Yeah, very important time in LGBT history. Future icons. Yes, we are still future icons, but it'll happen. Let's talk about the AIDS crisis, the 1980s, coming in strong with death. Yeah, it was a dark, dark time for us. Yeah, so um, I'm going to talk about some bad things, just really quick to give you an idea of how bad things were, and then we'll talk about some better things, because it does get better. There are so many people now who still have HIV and AIDS. It is not a curable disease, but it is treatable. And there are just 
so 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 many people who have had it and had it and it used to be back in the 80s getting hiv was a death sentence and despite all of that when asked about AIDS at a 1982 press conference, the White House press secretary, Larry Speaks, responded, What's AIDS? And then he added, I don't have it. Do you? There has been no personal experience here. And reporters at the briefing erupted in laughter because having a press secretary not know what's happening in the country and ignoring anything that isn't from his firsthand experience was apparently hilarious. We were being treated as a joke, our community and the deaths that were happening in our community were treated as a joke and that's horrifying it's just wrong and Mm -hmm. even right now more than 1.2 million people in the united states are living with hiv and yes if they're left untreated they stand they can still acquire aids and a lot of people who have hiv are still unaware of their infection, please get tested mm-hmm. while we're here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's always a good idea to get tested. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there are no there are no tests for coronavirus, and it's really hard to get those, but you can buy an HIV test at, like, your local pharmacy a lot of the time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's really important to note that the same systems that, um, are slowing down the coronavirus um, help, like, that are slowing down our progress compared to every other country's progress in limiting the coronavirus are the same exact systems that stopped the, that could have stopped the AIDS crisis and purposely didn't. It's the same exact systems working. Um, And this, what's happening right now is a result of history repeating itself. And, ignoring people who are being hurt yeah i mean they we truly do mean that we ignored people with aids and we ignored a major crisis president ronald reagan didn't even mention aids until 1985 and that same year 51 percent of americans wanted people with aids quarantined and 15 percent favored mandatory tattoos for people who were diagnosed with aids yeah and like That was 1985, and the first mention of GRID, which is what AIDS was called before it was called AIDS, was on May 11th of 1982. That was the first mention of gay-related immune deficiency, um, which later became HIV-AIDS. Yes, because we figured out that it doesn't just infect gay people. Yeah, because it's not God's punishment. It is just a disease. Right now, like we said, there are still millions of people with HIV, but it is now a treatable illness. Um, and there are preventative measures you can take if you love someone with HIV, like taking PrEP uh, regularly to prevent the spread of infection to you, or taking PEP if you find out that you participated in activities with someone who has HIV. But even then, we were still fighting for our rights. And we were still doing things to help the community. So in 1983, uh, Lambda Legal, which we uh, talked about uh, in the previous episode, um, won People versus West 12 Tenants Court, which was a case on HIV AIDS discrimination. Um, Neighbors attempted to evict 
Dr. Joseph Sonnebend from the building because he was treating HIV-positive patients, and this was a landmark decision that, to this day, makes it so that you do not have to disclose your HIV status on any formal paperwork, ever. Also, these neighbors were terrible. Yes. Like, they, they were obviously discriminating against people with HIV, but to get mad at a doctor for treating patients when that's their whole job mm-hmm. is wrong. It is. And, like, I mean, part of me wants to say they were acting out of fear, and part of them probably was, but fear that gives way to hate is not fear, it's bigotry. Um, especially now as we're seeing discrimination be legalized within the healthcare industry because it is an industry, we know once again that it's wrong and can point back to this case that says that doctors should treat everyone and to deny medical treatment or to discriminate against people based on their medical history is wrong. Everyone deserves access to good quality health care. Just reiterating our, our, the on-your-left official stance that we are against preventable deaths. Yeah, we want to prevent them. Like, I, would, I would prefer that everyone live. That would be great. Yeah, like, we get that we every, all have to die eventually. Mm-hmm. But while they're preventable, let's prevent them. Yeah. We just kind of continue to ignore the AIDS crisis for, like, several more years. Yeah, the U.S. government did, but the World Health Organization um, in 1983 did uh, start to assess the global AIDS situation because it was a global pandemic um, and began to finally like start surveilling it internationally and figuring out what was going on with it. Um, so that did happen. Activists still did really important work to try to still show how big the problem was even as our government ignored it. One famous thing that activists did was the AIDS memorial quilt, which was put together by crafters and artists who were trying to honor their dead. And it all began in 1987, and it is currently comprised of over of nearly 48,000 three-foot by six-foot fabric pieces dedicated to the people that died. And the reason it is three-foot by six feet is because that is the size of a grave. Yeah, and it started with one, um, which was Cleve Jones honoring his friend Marvin Feldman. Um, who passed away in 1986 at age 33, which is incredibly young. Um, And the fact that this continues and is ongoing to this day is terrifying and really sad. Two years after um, the press secretary laughed about this, um, President Reagan finally... Uh, signed an executive order making a presidential commission on AIDS to um, deal with this crisis. Uh, Years and years after people started dying um, in 1981. So, yeah, it took so many years for things to happen and for uh, the government to actually take action. And the reason 
that they even did is because activists spoke up relentlessly and in so many different ways to bring attention to the fact that we were dying. There was so much activism. Um, And yeah, I talked a little bit about Larry Kramer, who passed away recently in a previous episode, but um, his provocative activism is the reason why anything got done. Like, activists like that, who were loud and who did something um, and kept pushing for things to be done, is why eventually Anthony Fauci became friends with him and started to do something about it. It's really important that we continue that kind of activism today. So I guess let's skip ahead Mm -hmm. to the Bill Clinton presidency. I will say Bill Clinton and Hillary Rodham Clinton were the first president and first lady to ever see the AIDS memorial quilt and were committing to doing something about the AIDS crisis, but that's not what he is best known for when it comes to LGBT history. A lot of you may know this already, but um, in 1993, President Clinton signed into law the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy um, that prohibits openly gay and lesbian Americans from serving in the military, and but also prohibits the harassment of closeted homosexuals. So that means you couldn't openly talk about your boyfriend or girlfriend or, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't be open about your you couldn't be open about your life if you were in the military but the the harassment clause means that no one could go digging into your uh past or your history to um expose you but that didn't really work well it it wasn't great but it was a big improvement from the orders from 1953 from president dwight d eisenhower who said that homosexuals working for the federal government um, were a security risk and outright banned them, which was the current law for military. If it was found out that you were gay, you would be dishonorably discharged, Yeah, which meant you wouldn't have a right to um, veterans' benefits, like health care or help with college or so many other things that the military provides in America because we don't have a strong social safety net. Yeah. The military provides us a strong safety net for people who are honorably discharged. And even then, it's not very strong when you consider, like, how horribly Veterans Affairs is funded. But um, also, the whole preventing harassment of closeted homosexuals clause doesn't work because in order to talk about the harassment, you have to come out. You're forced to come out of the closet if you want to report that your superior officer is digging into your life and talking about how you're gay. You have to come out, and then and then you're screwed. It depended on straight allies being willing to speak up about harassment. And why would straight allies do that when they had nothing to gain? We're going to keep talking about it. Uh, don't Ask, Don't Tell is going to come back. Much later, we'll get back to this policy. Yeah, and it has a happy um, ending. Yeah, it's it's better now. <laughs> um, so in 1995, uh, Bill Clinton would also be a part of the Hate Crimes Sentencing Enhancement Act, which went into effect as part of the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994. Overall, I have some serious issues about this law. But that's not the place to talk about it. It's, it's not 
we're not doing that right now. But the law does allow a judge to impose harsher sentences if there is evidence showing that the victim was selected because of the actual or perceived race, color, religion, national origin, ethnicity, gender, disability, or sexual orientation of any person. Yeah. And the fact that it includes sexual orientation is huge, considering that the AIDS crisis was ongoing um, and, like, just general homophobia. It's hard to prove that something is a hate crime, but that hate crimes are still bad. Yeah, so it's good that it codified that hate crimes were still bad, but in general, the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, not a great thing. The only good things that happened that year in gay rights are that we were born. Policy-wise and legislatively, it was okay. But the fact that we suddenly existed in the universe, oh my god, miraculous. Yeah, amazing. We're killing it. Continuing on uh, President Clinton and his... um questionable uh questionable record on gay rights um he signed the defense of marriage act in 1996 which banned the federal recognition of same-sex marriage and defined marriage as a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife (sighs) so not to come strongly to bill clinton's defense or anything but I will say that the Defense of Marriage Act passed with veto-proof majorities in the House and Senate, so even if he was against this bill and vetoed it, it would be largely ceremonial, and it wouldn't actually help with the fight for gay rights. Although it Um, it would have marked the first time a president, like, was pro-gay marriage. Yeah. Um which would have been huge, Uh, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, The Defense of Marriage Act was a bad law. There's no defending it. (laughs) Our culture wasn't there yet. And also there's the whole, like, separation of church and state thing, where, like, marriage is traditionally a religious thing that became a state thing because of, like, rights and taxes and stuff. But it was originally a religion thing. So, I have feelings about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good to keep track of who the family units are for bureaucracy, but this this law wasn't necessary. Yeah. Um some happier news, same year 1996. Hawaii's Judge Chang ruled that the state does not have a legal right to deprive same-sex couples of the right to marry basically directly contradicting the Defense of Marriage Act entirely, and made Hawaii the first state to recognize that same-sex couples are entitled to the same privileges as heterosexual married couples. Go Hawaii. Like, that's amazing. Let's talk about Elton for a little bit, because although it doesn't seem like a big moment now, um, Ellen DeGeneres very much so moved things forward by coming out. Yeah. So, um, in 1997, um, Ellen DeGeneres 
came out as lesbian on the cover of Time magazine, and also her character on her television show, um, also called Ellen, um, became the first leading character to come out on a primetime network TV show. So there were there were queer people on TV before this, like on Friends there was Ross's ex-wife and her girlfriend and later wife, and there were like episodes of the Golden Girls that had um, queer characters and things like that, but this was the first time a main character on a primetime sitcom, which doesn't feel like a big deal right now because we have like Netflix and can watch things whenever we want, but like primetime was an important thing for many, many years, um, which meant a lot of people were watching. It's the first time someone came out on air that the way that did. Um, and that's really important. And, um, yeah, despite Ellen DeGeneres' politics now, which have more to do with the fact that she has a lot of money than anything else, um, it was a really important moment, and she did lose her livelihood for a very long time. Um, I think the Ellen show started in 2005 or so, so, like, eight years of, like, having no real job and no career in the film industry because of what she did. Um, and, yeah, she took that bullet for us and that's important she had a huge impact and it was also really risky to come out as gay then and when i listen to people who are even just 10 years older than me they will talk about how big of a moment that was for them to be able to see themselves on screen and to be able to understand themselves a little bit better and because they knew that they weren't alone so moving on um on april 1st 1998 activist Coretta Scott King, who was Martin Luther King Jr.'s widow, asked the civil rights community to help in the effort to extinguish homophobia. This was a big moment um, because the civil rights movement was really organized and had their shit together and we did not. Just, we had a really great activists who were fighting and organizing, but we weren't very organized uh in that general but coretta scott king who was this amazing activist who did so much work both while martin luther king jr was still alive and she didn't get credit for it because she was a woman but also later after he died when she kept doing so much to preserve and work on his legacy and to spread the messages of nonviolence, of fighting against racism and poverty and evil she did so much and to have her turn to her community and say, hey, we have black queer people, we need to protect them and we need to fight homophobia. Was, it's huge. That's huge. And also, weren't you saying that like Martin Luther King's right-hand man was was gay or something? Yep, yeah. Bayard Rustin. He yeah. is an amazing person. He organized the March on Washington and most people, all they know about the March on Washington is that's when the I Have a Dream speech happened. But there were thousands of people listening to that speech, and one of the reasons they were able to do that is because Bayard Rustin organized it because he showed up for his community time and again, even when they didn't show up for him. Yeah. And that's incredibly important that, like, queer organizers were were and still are very important to the civil rights movement and vice versa. And we need to keep helping each other and keep everything intersectional still to this day. 
black queer people still exist, we need to show up for them, especially now as a lot of the problems we have, we're still having. Mm-hmm. Black trans women have the shortest life expectancy out of pretty much any community, and that's a travesty, and it all comes down to the violence that is inflicted upon them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Solidarity. Solidarity is a good thing, and we should keep doing that. So, uh, next, we want to talk about Matthew Shepard, um, who uh, was the victim of a hate crime. Um, yeah. In- um, so, just, you know, trigger warning, yes. generally. Yes. Yes. Uh, major trigger warning. I had a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, basically, he was uh, tied to a fence and beaten um, in Laramie, Wyoming, and was eventually found by a cyclist. Uh, and he didn't die uh, immediately. He died later due to injuries sustained during that beating. Um, however, just two days later, um, the two people who committed that hate crime um, made their first court appearance after being arrested for their uh, murder of Shepard. It says attempted murder here, but I mean, it was pretty successful. Um, I don't think they had. I don't think he had died yet when they first went to court. Yeah, but he. Yeah, he. He. He died eventually, um, and um, they eventually received two life sentences for killing Matthew Shepard, which is a far cry from what happened before uh, to Harvey Milk's murderer, who received five years in prison. If I'm five years for manslaughter. For manslaughter. Not even didn't even call it premeditated murder. He had a gun. He came in to shoot people and then he did it. Yeah, like sounds pretty premeditated to me. Um but yeah, I mean I am largely against the uh incarceration system um that we have in this country. However, uh this does show progress that people uh, we're now taking seriously what they did not, uh, before, which is the, uh, murders, uh, of queer people, um, which I should say are not being taken seriously when it's, uh, black trans women right now, but, um, still progress. This is about one generation ago and one generation before that was Harvey Milk's death and we are growing and learning and we're doing better in our fight for justice yes speaking of justice let's talk about something better and happier mm-hmm. okay so in june 2003 there is this amazing court case that the supreme court saw called lawrence v texas this is one of the most important supreme court decisions in lgbt history i cannot stress this enough lawrence v texas whenever and whenever it's mentioned it deserves your applause just thank you (laughs) so the u.s supreme court in june 2003 struck down the homosexual conduct law that and through that they decriminalized all same-sex sexual conduct every anti-sodomy law in the country was shut down that's amazing yeah we could not be criminalized for being gay anymore 
and that also reversed a former decision they made in 1986, which upheld Georgia sodomy law. Because we, we got better in like the 26 years, 27 years between those two dates. A generation of fighting and change got them to see that we are people that should not be criminalized for our sexual act. Yeah, um, it's kind of shocking to realize that, like, we're pretty young and this happened in our lifetimes. Like, we were eight years old, nine years old when this happened. Like, that, this is very, very recent history that, like, we went from our existence, um, being legal on a state-by-state basis to being completely legal throughout the United States, like completely decriminalized. I have no memory or knowledge of a world where being who I am is illegal. And that's huge. I grew up first not realizing that gay people existed because I grew up in a rural area (laughs) Um, and was a child. Yeah, but then as I got to learn more and know more, and honestly moved to a city, uh, <laughs> I, being who I am, has always been legal, and that is huge. And a whole generation of people just like me got to grow up the same way without knowing that who they are is criminal. Mm-hmm. That's it's so beautiful to know that. Like, there are kids who don't know that it was illegal that their existence was illegal at one point because it's not anymore and they still say be gay do crime yeah um (laughs) i mean be gay (laughs) be gay do crime um as long as it's for the greater good yeah i mean it was yeah the the whole origin of that phrase which is you know hilarious and i love it and Mm -hmm. i say it all the time was that it used to be a crime to be gay and it's not anymore and that's amazing and we're so lucky to live in this world that older people built for us yeah at least in this country it should be noted that it is still criminalized in other countries um just a lot of places just a lot of places so uh let's talk about uh massachusetts in 2004 um where the first legal same-sex marriage happened, which is amazing. Ooh. It's so cool that this happened. Um, go yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah, you just have to like, go to Canada to get it. Yeah, and now you just have to go to Massachusetts, which is like still in the Northeast, but like pretty close. And as, as, a, as a New Yorker, I'm like supposed to hate Massachusetts, and I do hate their sports teams, but um, go Massachusetts. <laughs> I hate the Sox. I hate the Patriots. Go Massachusetts. <laughs> I, you know, Elizabeth Warren's great. Ayanna Pressley's great. Ed Markey's great. He sponsored the Green New Deal and is up for re-election this year. But the Sox suck. <laughs> I have no feelings about any of their sports teams. So, sure. <laughs> Is this an official on-your-left stance that the Red Sox suck? I, you know, this isn't, this isn't the fight I want to be a part of. (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't know, donate to Ed Markey's campaign. 
Yeah. Yeah, that ticket you were going to spend on baseball. Donate to Marquis campaign, Boston people. Um, so yeah, so yay, go Massachusetts. But also, <laughs> boo Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. So, on September 6th, 2005, the California legislature became the first to pass a bill allowing marriage between same-sex couples because Massachusetts didn't do it through their legislature. Um, and Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed the bill. You could say he terminated it. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm here all night. I knew you were going to make the joke again. I know why. I'm, I'm fine. I'm here for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is the second time we're recording this, and therefore the second time I made that same joke. California has a weird recent history with gay rights, and it's kind of because of him. It, it is because of him. So... That sucks. Uh, California bad at this, which is weird considering San Francisco good at gays, usually. (laughs) So let's take a short break from California to talk about the great state of New Jersey, which is pretty great. Um, The New Jersey Supreme Court ruled that uh, state lawmakers must provide the rights and benefits of a a marriage to gay and lesbian couples um, in 2006. So this doesn't mean that gay marriage was legal in New Jersey, um, but it did mean that if you went to Massachusetts and got married, um, you could come down to New Jersey and they had to give you the same benefits and the same rights and everything. And a lot of rights come with marriage, so that's huge. Being tied to someone with as a family member, being married to someone does come with like very different benefits and rights than just say living with someone or dating someone there are legal differences in your relationship when it comes to marriage and being guaranteed equal rights and having your marriage recognized in that way is huge yeah like and they were roommates is a great trope for fiction but you might want to get married in non-fiction because um you got you you have some rights that you don't if you were if you were just roommate. Yeah. They were roommates is a great starting point for this story. Yeah. They were roommates. <laughs> okay, um back to California for a while. Um so on May fifteenth, two thousand eight, the California Supreme Court ruled in remarriage cases that limiting marriages to opposite sex couples is unconstitutional. That's huge. So yay, gay marriage is legal. Same-sex marriage is legal. Sort of. For like five months. Sort of, yeah. Um, Yeah, five months later, uh, voters approved Proposition 8 in California, which made same-sex marriage illegal. Um, But later, that proposition itself was considered unconstitutional by a federal judge so it was just a massive question mark in 2008 whether gays were allowed to get married in california or not um yeah i personally remember like massive campaigns of like no no hate with the eight because of prop eight and like that was a huge deal in america at the time i really love um a story that kamala harris tells in her book that after the California Supreme Court ruled that limiting marriage to opposite-sex couples is unconstitutional. She went just basically to work at City Hall and started performing same-sex marriages because she could legally be the person performing it and help so many people get married 
and then just a few months later seeing it ripped away and how painful that was yeah it's heart that sounds heartbreaking Um, but honestly i mean what a time to just be like i'm gonna go to work and marry a bunch of gay people and it'll be great that sounds nice it sounds like it sounded like such a happy and joyful and celebratory day yeah yeah which makes it just as heartbreaking that a mere five months later it was taken away but not for long not for that long um We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so in 2009, uh, Barack Obama was sworn in as the first black president. Um, and he started doing a lot. He's, he did a lot. Um, his administration and that era did a lot for gay rights. And we should talk about it. Um, so the first uh, thing that happened was in August of 2009, um, Harvey Milk was posthumously awarded the Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama. Um, which is huge and amazing because the Medal of Freedom is the highest honor a person, an individual citizen can get uh, in the United States. Really, I cannot stress the highest civilian honor. Like, this is huge that we acknowledge gay rights and what he did as the first openly gay man to serve. In October of 2009, Obama signed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act into law, which was great because like we said it's kind of hard to prove that something is a hate crime but what this did is it made it a federal crime to assault an individual because of their sexual orientation or gender identity it expanded federal hate crimes law and just included and it included trans people it included trans people which is huge yeah which like trans people if you uh listen to both of our podcasts are very rarely mentioned in american history it just it just they just weren't acknowledged which is a shame but trans people were included in this and that's amazing so uh later in uh 2011 uh don't ask don't tell was repealed uh ending a ban on gay men and lesbians from serving openly in the military and yeah i already discussed how useless that law was and how bad it was um and it was repealed which was huge because um typically in american history um military policy if something happens in the military it later happens for the country um so like giving queer people license to be open about themselves in the military meant that like it would eventually like not this specific takedown of this specific law but that mindset would reach the rest of America eventually, which is huge. And I should say that the don't ask, don't tell repeal was led in part by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who is still serving. Yeah. Um, and is a great senator from New York. I really like her. I also worked for her in the past. Yeah. It's just, it's still like wild to me that this is, this was all happening like, we were in high school and like paying attention to this stuff around then, which is weird to think about. Like all of this history was happening while we were existing and figuring out how to be people in the world. Yeah, and really, so the "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" law being repealed was a really huge step that is taking us towards non-discrimination within employment. 
because the military is one of the largest employers in the United States, and yes, we know it's a problem, but that's not what we're talking about now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it's a massive problem. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about how, um, uh, at the moment, we're talking about how Obama was pretty good for gay rights. Um, so on uh, May 9th of 2012, in an ABC interview, uh, Barack Obama became the first sitting U.S. president to publicly support the freedom for LGBTQ couples to get married, which is huge. It's the first time a president has ever said, yeah, gays should marry. That's a, a thing that should happen. <laughs> It feels like such a small thing now with everything else that's going around, but having just our rights and the fight for equal rights be recognized by a sitting U.S. president is huge. Yeah. 2012 was a good year. Yeah, it was a good year for, for us. Um, I remember that interview, and I remember that interview being played on every single news station after and like being discussed and dissected and people were talking about how previously Obama didn't believe it that didn't support same-sex marriage and then came around to it and how he evolved and like so many things um and it was just such a moment it was everywhere and yeah because of that the Democratic Party became the first U.S. political party to support gay marriage on September 4th at the Democratic National Convention, they publicly stated their support and put it on a national platform, which pretty much meant when your party puts something on their platform, that's saying what the party stands for at large. It tells you what people in the party generally believe and will fight for, and them saying that they will fight for us was huge. Yes. Um, yeah. It's it's mind-blowingly huge how how big that was. And um, just a few years earlier, people were wondering whether they could get married in California or not. Because we didn't know. Like, it was, it was a huge question mark. Um, so that's huge. Also, in 2012, on November 6th, yes, Barack Obama got reelected, but also... Tammy Baldwin became the first openly gay politician and the first Wisconsin woman to be elected to the U.S. Senate. Go Wisconsin. Wow. Yep. She is still serving uh, as the junior senator from Wisconsin. That's amazing. Like, again, Midwestern values actually exist. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. It seems like Wisconsin has been doing pretty okay. Yeah. Go Wisconsin. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. let's circle back to California's Proposition 8 because it's still it was an ongoing mark. news story for a while. Still a question mark. So, June 26, 2013, we have another U.S. Supreme Court decision in United States v. Windsor. And the Supreme Court decided to strike down Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act, ruling that legally married same-sex couples are entitled to the same federal benefits that heterosexual couples and uh, opposite-sex couples are entitled to when they're married, and the High Court in that dismissed a case invol involving California's Proposition 8. Yeah. Um, so... 
yeah, Edie Windsor's case was uh, specifically about um, uh, her partner was specifically that her partner died and um, she thought she was entitled to benefits and sued the state to get benefits because her wife died. Um, and then through that, they were forced to recognize that same-sex couples were entitled to federal benefits. Um, so that was a very hard-fought battle. Yeah, I believe um, part of the fight was over her inheritance because the way estate tax laws work, the taxes are different if you're leaving it to your spouse. Um, which makes sense because generally you build wealth together when you are married to someone. Uh, and it's weird to be like, well, all of this money you inherited that was also technically something you owned, you have to pay taxes on again. And it's different. But yeah. Have, having their marriage recognized and stating that same-sex couples deserve equal rights was amazing. It was incredible. Um, so moving on from that case, uh, the Supreme Court uh, denied review in uh, five separate marriage cases um, and allowed lower court rulings to stand, which meant that uh, in Utah, Oklahoma, Virginia, Indiana, and Wisconsin... Uh, people were same-sex couples were allowed to get married. So this shows that a pattern in the U.S. Supreme Court of like letting gay marriage happen and recognizing gay marriage, um, which is huge. That like they were setting a precedent for themselves and followed through on that precedent and kept letting gays marry. Yeah, and this is huge because that decision opened doors for other states to legalize same-sex marriage, like Colorado, Kansas, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, and Wyoming, who all followed through and passed same-sex marriage before a later same, uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision would legalize it across the country. And finally, in 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments on the question of the freedom to marry, um, and the Supreme Court ruled on June 26th of 2015 that the Supreme, that states cannot ban same-sex marriage, effectively legalizing same-sex marriage across the country. Um, it was a 5-4 ruling, um, and Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote for the majority, and every single conservative justice wrote their own dissent. Um, but gay marriage was legal throughout the country, and that was such a huge day, and I vividly remember the White House in rainbow colors, and ah, oh, what a moment. It was such a moment of inclusion, and that feels so long ago. Um, like, this was about a fifth of my lifetime ago, and I know I lived a short life, but that feels like a long time for me. <laughs> it was only um, five years ago. It was almost exactly five years ago was such an amazing moment just of feeling included and recognized by my country and having my humanity seen and acknowledged by everyone. Let's just get in a little bit more Obama news before we have to be disappointed by our country. On <laughs> June 24th, 2016, Obama announced the designation of the first national monument to LGBTQ rights, 
the Stonewall National Monument, which encompasses Christopher Park, the Stonewall Inn, and the surrounding streets and sidewalks that were the sites of the 1969 Stonewall Uprising. Yeah. We'll say it's a pretty nice area. Kind of gentrified now, but pretty nice to walk around um, when when you can walk around New York City. Uh, just not at the moment, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful area, and I highly recommend you visit it when you can. Um, okay, so uh, on June 30th of 2016, um, there was some good news uh, where where the Pentagon announced that it was lifting the ban on trans people from serving open in the U.S. military. Now, um, this doesn't have as happy of an ending at the moment, but, but it was a thing. The ban was lifted, and um, trans people were allowed to serve openly in the U.S. military. Yep, which means that a lot of people serving in the military came out because they thought it was safe to do so. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. November 9th had some good news, uh, in addition to the the terrible, terrible news that um, Donald Trump was going to be our next president. Um, Kate Brown was uh, sworn in as governor on the same day she was elected to office, so she became the highest-ranking LGBTQ person to serve in office in the United States. Um, so basically what happened is she took over the governorship in February of 2016, but then she was, um, elected to office, um, later in 2016, um, after the previous, uh, Democratic governor resigned due to a criminal investigation. Um, so maybe be gay, don't do crime, and you'll be elected to a great position. <laughs> Yeah, we, we should, it's very unusual that you're sworn into office the same day you're elected, uh, but this was a special circumstance, mm -hmm. and we needed the good news on that day. We really did. On April 4th, 2017, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the Civil Rights Act prohibits workplace discrimination against LGBTQ employees, and this had to do with a case after Kimberly Hively sued Ivy Tech Community College by violating Title VII of the Act by denying her employment. Yeah, no, discrimination is bad. I have nothing else to say about this. Yeah, discrimination is bad, and workplace discrimination is very bad, and should not happen, but does. Um, but now we know that it's against the law. Do you want to do the next one? Because it's relevant to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the reasons I decided to work on Kirsten Gillibrand's campaign for president was her LGBT policy, that would say I could have a gender-neutral option on my ID. And that was cool because on June 27th, 2017, residents of the District of Columbia could choose a gender-neutral option for their driver's license, becoming the first people in the United States to be able to choose an X as their gender marker instead of the traditional M or F on driver's licenses and ID cards, which, you know, getting to be non-binary in a legal way is super cool and having that recognized is amazing and i am so excited for that to become a national policy one day that would be amazing it would just it would change the lives of so many non-binary people just to like be like acknowledged in that way and like have that codified into law would be amazing yeah, and it's not even that weird of a policy because similar policies exist in other countries like Canada, India, Bangladesh, Australia, New Zealand, and Nepal. 
Overall, I think those countries are fine. <laughs> India's having some issues, but but so does every other country. Um, I'd be okay being included with them on this. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, unfortunately, some, some bad news. Uh, we said we'd circle back to the trans people in the military thing. And um, in June of 2017, uh, the DOD announced a six-month delay in allowing trans individuals to enlist in the military. And um, then a month later, uh, we, we, we started seeing tweets from, from the president of the United States of America. Um, Not Obama anymore, just, no, just to be clear. We're now talking no. about President Donald Trump. Who yeah. is disappointing. In every way. In every single way. Um, yeah. You, you remember when presidents didn't tweet out policy before, like, announcing it? Um, but yeah, basically Trump announced the trans ban via Twitter, the way he does everything. And um, that and the, created and the a US massive... the U.S. military wasn't aware. Yeah, the U.S. military didn't know about it before Trump tweeted it um but it uh yeah so basically that created a months-long debate about whether or not like it was a legit announcement whether it was legal whether the U.S. military would follow this like what was gonna happen nobody knew we were in chaos um but yeah basically trans people were no longer allowed to serve in the military which is employment discrimination yep 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 but for some happy trans news um on november 7th 2017 virginia voters elected the state's first openly trans candidate to the virginia house of delegates danica rome who unseated an incumbent delegate bob marshall who had been elected 13 times over 26 years, and she became the first openly trans candidate elected to state legislature in American history, and she's doing a great job. Yeah, she's still serving um, in the Virginia House of Delegates, and she's trying to get free lunch to kids, and she's trying to uh, fix the roads in her area, and seems like overall a pretty good uh, delegate for Virginia. She's incredibly qualified and is doing a great job at moving the state forward. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then the blue wave happened a year later. So the blue wave happened, uh, which was uh, on November 6, 2018. Um, A record number of uh, Democratic officials were elected to office, um, including um, the... In the Colorado governor's race, um, Jared Polis won and became the first openly gay man to be elected governor. And we, in the last episode, we talked about a few openly uh, gay people who also got elected governor in other places. Um, but first openly gay man, which is pretty cool. It's nice. I hope him and Kate Brown, like, talk about it sometime. Yeah. I know there's, like, some sort of governor association thing, so, like... Maybe like they have, they might have like the governor group chat, and then they have a side group, side chat, a sidebar text message yeah. chain. That's just like them complaining about all the straight people. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. I mean, I do it too. And just a moment of sad news. In January 2019, after the blue wave, the Supreme Court allowed 
the trans ban and the military to go into effect because we can't count on the Supreme Court to protect us all of the time. That is a thing that we learned. Back to good news. Back to good news. Um, so you live in New York part of the time. Yeah, yeah. What happened there? Um, so I have I have feelings about Andrew Cuomo, mostly negative. But um, this one decent thing he did um, was that he signed into he signed a law banning the use of gay and transpanic legal defense strategy, um, which uh, means that... Um, do you want me to explain it? Yeah. Uh, no, I think I can I can do it. So, okay. so basically, if you are attacked because you are queer in some way, um, people can't say they were afraid of your queerness or surprised by your queerness. Um, and use that as a defense for attacking you. This is still a really common legal defense, especially for assaults against trans people, because people... This is just legal victim blaming and saying it's someone's fault for being attacked or being hurt or being discriminated against because they were gay or trans. Yeah, and, and this is this disproportionately affects trans people because people say they were tricked um, into believing that someone was a certain gender. Um, and yeah, just they're there's they're just surprised everyone isn't cis. Yeah, yeah, and transphobia is still rampant and real and really harmful. Yeah, <laughs> look, we know a lot of things have happened. We know it's been a hard year. We know it's only halfway done for some reason. Yeah. Halfway there. Living on a prayer. <laughs> we have like 17 weeks before the general election. Oh my god, only 17 weeks. Only 17 weeks. We gotta take the presidency and the senate and keep the house. We have state legislatures that are having elections. We have people that we need to protect and vote on LGBTQ rights and protect everyone within our country. But before we get to that, we have some things that have already happened this year in LGBT rights because so much has happened. So on February 10th, 2020, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a ruling that the state of Idaho must provide gender confirmation surgery for an inmate in the custody of the Idaho Department of Correction. Um, this is the very first time that a federal appeals court has ruled on if a state must provide gender assignment surgery to an incarcerated person, um, ruling that the, gender that the gender confirmation surgery is a medical necessity and that we have to provide necessary medical care to people that are incarcerated because they didn't choose to be there. For one thing um but also acknowledging that gender dysphoria and transphobia kills yeah and also that um gender confirmation surgery is a medical necessity and not just an option for people it's it's not it's not it's not like getting lip fillers folks it's it's a medical necessity 
Not everyone's health insurance treats it like a medical necessity, and gender confirmation surgery is often incredibly expensive and has to be paid for out of pocket, which stops so many people from accessing medically necessary treatments. I'm glad that we are just now beginning to make it like understand that it is important and necessary for trans people to get the surgeries they need. So yay, progress. And and we said we said we would get back to employment discrimination and we're gonna do it because we got a great new court case to end on. Yeah, just just a few days ago, on June 15th, 2020, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, federal law protects LGBTQ workers from discrimination, which means um, it and it argued that um, the word sex in um, the Civil Rights Act w- that bars discrimination on the basis of sex includes gender identity and sexual identity. So that's huge. That's so big. It was legal in so many states to fire someone, to deny someone a promotion, to not hire someone because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. So much so that has been included in pretty much every single podcast we've made this month. Yep. And for the Supreme Court to acknowledge that employment discrimination is wrong and is also illegal, uh means that in every single state we will have a worker protection and this supreme court ruling is going to be used as precedent to overthrow discrimination in healthcare and discrimination in every facet of public life it is huge like there is no understating how big it is it's like there's no overstating how big it is because it is such a landmark ruling and it will define so much of the next generation and in like civil rights it's going to it's huge i talked about earlier how because of lawrence v texas i have never known a world where my existence is criminalized and kids growing up now are not going to know a world where discrimination is legal so what did we learn from the podcast today? I think um I think I think we learned that history is long and we're working on making things better and we're not done with the fight. Yeah. I think that whole arc of justice quote is true. It bends towards justice. Yep. We're we're and getting we're there. It. We're getting there. And it it doesn't bend towards justice naturally. We have to push and we have to fight to get there. But when it does happen, it's a beautiful thing. Last week, the podcast ended abruptly, and we're sorry for that. We had some technical difficulties, and you didn't get your mango fact. But that's okay, we still have mango facts for you. The mango is a member of the cashew family. So I know this because my friend that's allergic to mangoes is not also allergic to cashews, and apparently that's super weird because you're usually allergic to both. That's so interesting i'm just one of my favorite sweets um is kaju katri and kaju means cashew it's basically like a cashew based sweet and that's one of my favorite things and so is mango 
So now I'm trying to think about like mango flavored gaju katri and whether that can like be a thing that I can that I can have. I don't think I can make it, but I think I can I can make it happen somehow. I think if you find it, it'll taste delicious. Yeah. I'm like whenever I go to India next, I think I'm going to try to find that. That was an excellent mango fact. Thank you so much, Narali. No problem. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of On Your Left. If you want to hear more from us, please follow this podcast. Uh, but you can also follow me on Twitter at Katringa Ames. And you can find me on Twitter and everywhere else as Firewood Sparkler. You can follow uh, us everywhere at On Your Left Pod and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash on your left pod. Huzzah! for listening everyone yeah thank you so much for going through gay history with us this was nice i learned a lot